17-year-old Lily Burke was the kind of girl who was out to change the world. She never met a person she didn't want to help, and she brought color and liveliness to everyone she met. But on one afternoon, she went to run an errand for her mother, and she never came home. Unfortunately, Lily crossed paths with a killer. Today, we're going to be talking about the story of Lily Burke. This is Bad Axe Podcast. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and this is our co-host. Hey, I'm Aaron. The case we are doing today takes place in sunny Los Angeles, California. All right. I cannot wait until COVID is over for us to take vacations again. And I hope that Los Angeles is on that list soon. I hope so too. Okay, well, the case we're talking about today is definitely going to bum people out. It is about the senseless murder of a really awesome teenage girl. That sucks. So let's just get started. Our scene is Los Angeles, California on a hot summer day. It's July 24th, 2009 at around 3 p.m. And 17-year-old Lily Burke has just arrived at Southwestern University School of Law. She's there running an errand for her mother, who is a professor at the college. Lily is picking up her exams. People who care about her describe Lily as an honor student with a bright future, about to start her senior year in high school. The Los Angeles Times reported that Lily earned a starring role in a play that summer and had volunteered in a needle exchange program on Skid Row. By all accounts, she was a bright, kind teen who was set to make a positive impact on the world. But unfortunately, the actions of a seasoned criminal would steal her life away from her. That really sucks. She seems like a cool person. Yeah, I really identify with her a lot because of the whole theater thing. And she just seems like she was doing everything. She just had her hand in all the pots. And the fact that she was so dedicated to her volunteer work just shows what a good person that she was and what a light she was for so many people in her community. Yeah, totally. So after picking up her mother's exams, Lily left the school and walked down a road called Wilshire Place. There, she encountered Charlie Samuel, a 50-year-old parolee who'd spent most of his life living on the streets. Samuel's criminal history stretched across decades, and included things like violent robbery. Most recently, he'd served time for petty theft. At the time of this incident, Samuel was supposed to be in a residential treatment facility on court order. However, he'd gotten permission to leave the facility that day, supposedly to go to the DMV, though that office was closed. Really? Yeah, the day pass thing seems weird to me because I feel like if you're in a court-ordered program, they should at least give you some sort of escort or it maybe sometimes they could let you go with someone who's a personal escort, like a relative or something. But definitely someone should be observing where you're going. Yeah, I agree. Yes, because as we're learning right now, Samuel actually used that day pass to go get drugs. Uh, Of course he did. Of course he did, because that's what his whole life is. Like, not trying to judge him, he definitely needed treatment, but he was a a serial drug abuser, and that was what he wanted most in life. I mean, I feel like sometimes with these rehabilitation programs, they forget that if the only thing that makes you happy 
is the drug or the alcohol or the eating disorder or whatever it is, if that's your whole existence, then you can't just stop doing it. Exactly. I don't know if these people have ever tried. I don't know what's going on. But you (laughs) definitely, you have to give them something to replace it with. And I just feel like he clearly didn't have that yet. Yeah, clearly. I mean, he's willing to give up everything and live on the streets just to have drugs. Yeah. I think that he needed something more. Yeah, I think you're right. He used this day pass to get out. It reminds me, though, of that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, the new Unsolved Mysteries, where the guy gets the day pass to go Christmas present shopping. Oh, my God, yes. Yes, it made me think of that so hard because, first of all, this guy that we're talking about today used his day pass to both get drugs and also he ends up committing a murder, obviously. But the present guy uses his day pass to, instead of getting presents, he just escapes from jail. Yeah. Why are these people getting these day passes? Yeah, for real, especially in that Unsolved Mysteries case. Like, oh, my what God. What the hell? Just maybe think it through, people. Yeah, totally. Really be careful with who's getting day passes. Yes. So he's out on this day pass, and he encounters Lily in a completely random incident. Now, he decides that he is going to rob Lily. I'm assuming he saw she's a young, well-dressed teen. He probably just thought she had money. And Lily, if you recall, was really, really nice and also volunteered helping people just like Charlie Samuel. So she may not have even been as afraid as a lot of us would have been when he approached her. Yeah, probably Yeah, because she's been working on Skid Row to help drug addicts get needles and stay fresh and try to live better lives. Yeah, she may have wanted to help them. She may have. So... Shortly after this encounter, surveillance videos captured Samuel driving Burke's Volvo away from the scene, and she sat in the passenger seat. So clearly, at this point, they know that he's abducted her. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, even if she was trying to help him, it's unlikely that she would give him the keys to her car. Yeah, for sure. You wouldn't let him drive. No. So Samuel drove Burke to an ATM in downtown LA, and according to police reports, within 30 minutes of her abduction... Surveillance videos captured images of Burke trying to withdraw money from the ATM. Police say it looks like Samuel is controlling her movements, but unfortunately, the card Burke had in her possession was a credit card. So she can't use it to withdraw money from the ATM. Exactly. Yeah. And it's unclear if she knew that because she seems to think that she's able to do this. Right. And remember, she's very young, so it makes sense that she wouldn't know exactly how the cards work. Yeah, sure. At that point, Burke actually tried calling both her mother and her father to find out how to get money off of this card. Oh, no. Oh, she called them in the middle of all this? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Obviously, you would hope that she would say she was kidnapped, but it's not clear if she was just afraid of Samuel and what he would do. I mean, he probably threatened her. Not to tell her parents. Probably. Or if she just didn't realize the magnitude of the danger she was in. That's also remotely possible. Sure, absolutely. But she did not tell them that she had been kidnapped. Instead, she told them that she needed money to buy shoes. And according to her parents, they actually didn't hear anything in her voice that suggested she might be in danger. And she sounded totally normal during the phone calls. Man, that's heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. Because, like, they're going to look back on that later and just... Oh, it has to be torture. They did not do anything wrong at all. Oh, no. I mean, by all accounts, they were, like, perfect parents. 
Yeah. But it has to torment you just to know. Right. And that's that's what I was getting at, right? I wasn't trying to say they did something wrong, but just that's the sort of thing that you would hold on to, you know? Definitely. And at the end of the call to her father, she realized that there's just no way she's getting money off this card. Because he straight up told her that it didn't work that way. It was a credit card. You could only use it to buy stuff at a store. And he actually recommended she come home and get money. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she told him that she would be home soon. Now, it's unclear if she thought she'd be home soon or if maybe she was just telling him that. I get the impression that she really believed it, though. Yeah, she thought he was going to let her go. Probably so. He probably told her that he would. He hadn't killed anyone yet, even though he had committed some violent acts. Yeah. After all of the attempts to get money failed, Samuel assaulted Lily, beating her. And according to later testimony from the medical examiner, she had wounds from head to toe including bite marks on her face and ear. Jesus, that's brutal. Yeah, so we're talking a vicious attack. Yeah. Now, luckily, it doesn't appear that she was sexually assaulted, so that's kind of a good thing. Yeah. I don't really know how you can say anything is a good thing about this crime. Yeah. But I guess it's good that she didn't have to go through that, too. Yeah, for sure. So after this full-body beating that he did, he slashed her throat. That's how he killed her. That's messed up. Yeah. So when he had finished, he has Lily. She's deceased. Just really violated at this point. He left her body in the car that she owned, her Volvo, and put the car in a downtown parking lot. He just left her there in the yeah, car? Yeah, he just left her there and just walked back off to go find drugs. That's awful. Oh, it's incredibly awful. Yeah. So she's just waiting for someone to find her. And this all happens before her parents even realize that she's missing. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking like a really, really tight time frame. Because remember, she had just been talking to them on the phone. They didn't know since anything was wrong. And then right after she gets off the phone with her dad, he's assaulting her. Right, yeah. She was dead up like very shortly after that. Yes. So like they don't even know there's a problem yet. Yeah. I feel that there's something really extra scary about that experience when you think of getting kidnapped i feel like you imagine hoping that someone would come and get you but in this case there was essentially no hope of that happening and i think it's the same way with like finding someone you know who's missing you just feel like you have this time if we can just get there fast enough but in reality a lot of times that's kind of an imaginary thing right yeah it's something you see in movies but not Mm -hmm. in real life yeah like it makes me think of criminal minds they always have their final victim almost always is someone that's savable that they'd get their right the last second and they get the person free yeah and i think that in true crime we have this idea that that's possible too but in reality so many times the perpetrators already committed the murder before we even know that someone is in danger yeah exactly and that's certainly what happened with lily here wow so one thing that stood out as super shocking to me about this incident is that according to reporting by the los angeles times this wasn't the first time samuel had committed this exact type of robbery really yeah so 22 years before he kidnapped lily burke Samuel abducted an elderly man and drove him to an ATM to withdraw cash. Sound familiar? It does. Yeah, this crime occurred in San Bernardo, California. And during the first robbery, Samuel struck the elderly victim with a cane and threatened to kill him if he told anyone what happened. In 1987, Samuel pleaded guilty to this robbery, residential burglary that also occurred at the same time, and car theft in this case. He received six years in prison for the crime. 
Yeah, that definitely definitely sounds very similar yes, to this. Yes, literally the only difference is that the elderly man survived, and I believe he got the money. Yeah. But it's insane to me that he only got six years for such a brutal crime. I yeah. don't know. It's so hard because I know in the United States, we do have long prison sentences that are unreasonable. That's definitely true. So it's hard sometimes to rationalize when is this too long and when is it too short? And I feel like violent people are the ones who need to be in prison for a really long time. Like drug offenses in a lot of ways are just total bullshit. Someone did drugs. Okay, let's get them treatment. Let them go, whatever. And also it depends on what kind of drugs. Like if someone's smoking pot, just leave them alone. But if you have someone who's violently attacking people, I mean, that's just an escalating crime. I don't, I don't understand why these people are the ones who get such short sentences. Agreed. Yeah, because people will get like a marijuana charge and end up with like their whole life in prison, which is completely ridiculous. Yes, it is. And then they have this guy over here who's actually committing violent crimes that it might make sense to like let him be in prison for longer. Yeah, totally. I mean... Mm-hmm. As you can see, he reoffended and then, and then wound up killing this person. Definitely. So back to Lily's murder. 90 minutes after her murder, police actually arrested Samuel. Really? But not for the murder. Oh, of course. Yes. So weirdly, they found him on Skid Row drinking a beer in public. And that is what draws police attention and inevitably gets him arrested. Because it's illegal to be drinking beer on the streets. So they approach him and they start questioning him about the beer. And he immediately admits that he is a drug addict. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they search him because of this admission and find a crack pipe in his pocket. But there's more. Because while searching Samuel, they also found a Volvo key and a cell phone. Both of these items belong to Lily Burke. At this point, police have no idea they have a missing person, though. Because, again, her parents had not had a chance to find out that she was missing. Because we're talking about 90 minutes here have elapsed. So it's reasonable for her not to be home yet. Exactly. Yeah. So the police know, though, that this phone and this key cannot possibly belong to their suspect. So something's going on. Right. They just don't know the severity of the incident yet. Exactly. In addition to these objects, though, police also notice blood on Samuel's clothing. Later on, they would be able to use that blood to match the DNA to Lily Burke. Yep. Now, at the time of Samuel's arrest, Lily was still missing, and her disappearance would actually remain a mystery for an entire day. Meanwhile, Lily's parents began to worry about their daughter as the sunny afternoon faded into the evening. They called her friends, hoping to find her there. But with no one having seen Lily, they reported her disappearance to the police at around 7 o'clock p.m. They had no way of knowing this, but Lily was already gone. Yeah. Police used cell phone records and surveillance footage in an attempt to try to locate Lily. At that point, they were able to find that footage of her kidnapping and being dr- her and her driving away with the kidnapper in her own car. They also were able to find the ATM footage, but none of the camera footage showed what inevitably happened at the end of the incident. Right, yeah. At this point, police, family, and friends began searching for Lily in the area around Skid Row and around downtown since they knew that was the last place she had been. However, it was an employee at a local business that would eventually find Lily's body. The next morning at around dawn, a worker at a local business spotted Lily's car in the parking lot. And they went over to tell this person that they weren't allowed to be in their parking lot. 
this is a normal policy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so they're expecting probably someone sleeping in their car. Like, maybe someone who's temporarily homeless or between homes. Yeah. So they go to knock on the window, but when they get there, they notice Lily's body is in this car. That has to really suck, you know? Like, you're just mm-hmm. at work, you're trying to do your job, and then you find body in a car. Yeah, and, and also the passenger window is broken, so they can really see inside that this has been a crime scene. Right. So the police arrive, they find her body there, head-to-toe wounds, broken glass all over her in her hair, and they see that that passenger window is broken, and they conclude that she had actually tried to kick out the window as she was fighting for her life. Wow. Yeah, that's how it got broken. Jesus. While scouring the car for evidence, police discovered fingerprints left by the killer, and those fingerprints matched the ones on file for Samuel. That's how they identify him as a suspect. So police re-arrested him on these new charges and held him without bail. Good. This arrest actually happened super fast considering, too, because they print this car, put him in the system, find their killer. He's already in jail. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they're like, woohoo, we're done. Right, already in jail. Yeah, and then they had all that evidence between the cell phone and the keys and the blood. They really had this case come together really, really fast. Yeah. I mean, almost like serendipitous fast. Yeah, it's it's a slam dunk. Yeah. Now, despite it being a slam dunk, Aaron, I'm glad you use that terminology, because he initially pleaded not guilty to the crime. Really? Yeah. I don't know how you look at DNA evidence and your fingerprints and all these other pieces of evidence. Surveillance. And and surveillance footage of you with the victim and then go with, that wasn't me. (laughs) I know, right? Like, how... Like, what's his plan? I don't think he had one. (laughs) I think it was more just not wanting to have to admit that he killed a teenage girl. I see. So in May 2010, Samuel changed his mind and pleaded guilty to a charge of first-degree murder, kidnapping to commit robbery, second-degree robbery, attempted first-degree ATM robbery, carjacking, and kidnapping for carjacking. And for all of these charges... He received a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Good. Also, the prosecutor clearly was trying to find every charge oh, and throw yeah. it at him. And that's definitely. Yeah. I totally get that. There are times when I feel like prosecutors do that in the wrong way. I I know that myself as a prosecutor, with some of these criminals, I would definitely be finding every single charge. Like, ridiculous shit of, well, at the time of the murders, his insurance was expired on his car. We need to add that charge, too. Let's mm. get a fine in here, people. That's the kind of person I would be. But I, I have heard some stories where prosecutors doing this is actually a way to pressure people who really haven't committed any crimes but have gotten caught up into stuff. It's a way of pressuring them to plead guilty to things, which is not okay. Yes, for sure. Uh, But in this case, it makes sense because this was a terrible crime and there is a buku of evidence that he for sure did it. Yeah. Um, At his sentencing, he did apologize to her family, but at the same time, it's not like it brought her back. Yeah, nothing's going to bring her back. Yeah. But wait, there is more to this story. But wait, there's more. Yeah, but wait, there's more because this murder never fucking had to happen. Okay. Let me explain why. I mean, obviously, no murder has to happen. Yes. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Before Lily's kidnapping and murder, Samuel had actually received three felony convictions and under California law, that made him eligible for a life sentence before he ever got out and murdered her. Really? 
Yeah, like they have that three strikes you're out thing. And yeah. since he had three felonies, after the third felony, he's eligible for a life sentence if the prosecutor argues for it. Right, so he should have been in prison anyway. Yes, yeah. he should have been in prison at the time of her murder. Wow. Yeah, so that makes this story extra shitty because he should have been in jail. But unfortunately, there was a paperwork error and the prosecutors from his like third strike did not know that he was eligible for the three strike law. So we're unable to go for it. Oh, wow, man. That sucks. Now, obviously I think we can all agree that there are definitely problems with the three strikes law and people are for sure locked up for life for minor offenses, like getting caught with drugs. And that's not cool. Yep. But this guy is the exact type of person that law was intended for. Someone who is doing violent things to people and hurting people. Yeah. He is violent. He reoffended every single time they let him out. And eventually, he evolved to the point that he committed a murder. And this murder could have been prevented if they had actually been able to use the law. Exactly. Um, so, I did want to share this story today. It's the story of Lily Burke. It's tragic. I feel like it's one of the saddest ones that I've read just because it did not have to happen. Yeah, it's super um, sad. It's very it's very sad. I hope you get something out of it. And if nothing else, maybe we can all do something nice this week in honor of Lily Burke and try to put some good out there in the world to cancel out all this evil. Yeah, absolutely. Something in her memory. Definitely. Well, if you like Bad Axe Podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love review on Apple Podcasts if you would be so inclined to do so. Uh, We have exclusive extra bonus episodes on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash badaxpod. You can also support the show by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash badaxpod. If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us at badaxpod. We are especially active on Instagram and would love to hear from you there. You can also send us an email with feedback, suggestions, or angry comments, or positive comments. Yay, positive comments. At padxpod at gmail.com. And we have a website, and I'm pretty sure you know what it is. Tell them, Aaron. It's badxpod.com. It is. Surprise. Surprise. I know. You were so shocked by that. <laughs> well, we are so grateful to you for listening. We appreciate your support and we cannot wait to see you again with our next episode. In the meantime, have a super great week and bye-bye. Bye. Bye.